The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, (laughs) today um, we have had a speech from President Obama um, on a topic that is... Uh, to say controversial sort of doesn't um, give it, doesn't really describe the impact, and that is gun control. Now, this is obviously a very, uh, you know, difficult subject, difficult issue. Of course, there are people being shot too many times in in America, uh, all over the world for that matter, but um, and I'm not talking about terrorism per se right now. I just, you know, the, the usual kinds of crimes that we hear about. But what is the solution? Um, to me, one of the glaring deficiencies, uh, you know, in his speech was um, not mentioning the impact of violent video games on causing people to be violent in the first place. Violent video games, violent television shows, violent movies, uh, violent media. Um, I don't know that all of the things that he proposes would be necessary, or perhaps any of them, if there wasn't such a an inbred culture of violence to begin with. But um, beyond my comments on his speech, I, my guest today is someone who represents certainly an organization that um, probably has... <laughs> has had an even stronger reaction... Um, at each of the uh, words and decisions and rules that um, President Obama has has recited in his speech. Um, of course, before uh, introducing my guest, who is Eric Pratt, he is the Executive Director of Gun Owners of America. Um, I do want to just make sure that I mentioned one of the things that bothered me a lot was um, the insincerity. Uh, President Obama must be taking acting lessons. I think he's preparing for what he's going to do after he leaves the White House, which is obviously to be an actor, because, um, you know, somehow he is not bothered by all the terrorist attacks and all the stupid um, agreements, you know, parts of the agreement with Iran that he signed, all of these really serious things. He doesn't shed a tear, doesn't seem to care, um, he goes on vacation, plays golf, all of that. But for this speech today on gun control, um, somehow he managed to shed more than one tear. And um, I, I, this must have been, <clears throat> he must be taking lessons. He must be taking acting lessons. I don't see how he, it just, first of all, it was so insincere. Yes, of course it's incredibly sad, uh, Sandy Hook and, and all of the other 
examples of of horrific crimes that he mentioned, but especially Sandy Hook and children and all of that. But, you know, I'm not saying that that's not something that one could and should cry about. But given President Obama's past, um, his his lack of emotion with in regard to things that were super important to cry over, this just seems insincere at best. Without further ado, let me introduce my guest again. That's Eric Pratt. He is the executive director of Gun Owners of America. Welcome to the show, Eric. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Carroll. It's great to be with you. You must be, you probably um, could use some therapy about now. (laughs) (laughs) After listening to Obama's speech, um, what part of it, well, well, before we cut, I was going to say what part of it got you the most angry, but... Um, before we get into that, and I'm going to ask you about what Gun Owners of America, uh, what the organization does, um, I, I just wanted to um, ask you, do you have any thoughts, I'm sure you do, I, I do, about this, his, execu- his increase in the number of executive orders altogether? Yeah, that's very troubling. Uh, th- that in and of itself, and obviously the fact that uh, he's issuing these executive actions uh, to restrict a constitutionally protected right makes it all the more lawless. Mm-hmm. But he is he's circumventing, circumventing the Congress, circumventing the Constitution to place restrictions on law-abiding Americans. And I think we need to be clear that none of these actions are going to make us any safer. You know, France has more gun control than the president put forward this week. And yet Mm. terrorists still got guns and massacred people there in France. You know, gun control just doesn't make people safer. Okay, let me, before we go on, let me um, give you a chance to tell my listeners what actually the Gun Owners of America does. Well, we're a grassroots lobby, which means that we heavily rely on our members and activists, and we have almost two million, uh, to put the heat on their elected representatives. And it's for that reason that uh, even a lot of uh, very anti-gun liberal uh, publications like the New York Times have credited GOA with stopping gun control legislation uh, in the Congress. You know, it was PBS that pointed out that with one email alert, we're able to light up the lines in Congress. And I think part of that is because this is, is such a passionate issue for a lot of people. It's not a Republican-Democrat uh, issue, at least in the hustings, it's not. There are a lot of Democrats who will cross party lines to vote for a Republican uh, if they think that the Democrat is going to be restricting their liberties. And, uh, and so anyway, that's what GOA does. We put heat on legislators, and uh, it's, been, it's been a very effective way of defeating gun control legislation. And, and we have a lot of ideas for, for how we're going to go after uh, what's being put forward this week. And the, the best way people can find out about us is either by well, wait, going wait, to... Wait, 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 wait. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's, let's just stick... Um, because I'm, I'm going to give you a chance to, to tell people more about what they can do and all of that. But before, um, I have a question, because I know some people are thinking, who just heard you, are thinking, well, like, why do... And I must admit that I was one of them um, before 9-11 um, and before... Uh, this gov- particularly this government, particularly Obama, uh, before his uh, administration. Um, I well, I am an anti-media violence activist, and um, that included. I mean, I've been against toy guns for kids. I am still against toy guns for kids. Um, 
you know, I, and I guess more against guns in general and the idea like, wh- why do people have to hunt? Why do people have to own guns? Now, putting aside, um, because your organization I was reading was formed in 1975, so that was way before 9-11. What's your answer to the question, why do people have to own guns in the first place? Well, we believe it is uh, like our Declaration of Independence says, our rights come from God, and this is one of the rights that we have. It's a basic human nature right, God-given right, to protect yourself from attack. And what's interesting is that uh, the president's own CDC, Center for Disease Control, studied the issue in 2013 and found that even though there's 30,000 gun deaths, which he likes to talk about a lot, that actually there's 16 to 100 times more often guns being used to save life in this country. And so that's what we're all about, is the lawful, responsible use of a firearm to protect oneself. And we understand, you know, we, we may differ on, you know, whether hunting is, is okay or not. I heard what you were saying. Uh, but honestly, that's not even what Gun Owners of America is about or what the Second Amendment is about. It's really not about hunting. It's all about being able to protect yourself. Okay. All right. Then let's... Um... Then let's look at his at his speech. Um, do you have a? <laughs> I don't know if you have it memorized, but do you have a transcript in front of you? I don't have a transcript, but I did make some notes as, okay. as uh, he was going, you know, through his. Uh huh. Okay. Well, actually, one of the things, one of the first things that he mentioned, and you, that you just mentioned, um, was about the thirty thousand every single year, more than 30,000 Americans have their lives cut short by guns. Of course, he mentions it's not just uh, killing people, it's not just murder, um, suicides, domestic violence, um, gang shootouts, accidents, you know, I mean, so suicides and accidents, well, you know, um, I mean, that part, uh, certainly there are, I mean, that's one of the problems that that, um, I agree has to be addressed, and you probably do too that um, there have been studies long before this that show that when a family has a gun, at least a, one gun, um, and they have children, there, it is more likely for someone in that family to be killed or injured by that gun than an intruder. Well, the study I think you're referring to is one from the 1980s from Dr. Kellerman, and he actually didn't reveal his data uh, until years later, and once he did reveal his data, it was evident why, and that was because he uh, simply excluded uh, the greatest number of cases where guns are used positively, and that is simply brandishing a firearm or firing a warning shot uh, to uh, deter an intruder. So, and, and ironically, that's actually what the President's Center for Disease Control did look at. And so uh, when they found that 16 to 100 times more often guns are being used to save life, it wasn't because criminals are being shot and killed. It's because in many situations people are uh, just simply using the gun, and that's enough to deter a bad guy and flee. I mean, you know, obviously you can make a case that if you have a gun in the home, uh, then your chances do go up of some harm happening in the same way that if you have a car in the driveway, your chance of a car accident goes up, or, uh, you know, sadly, a, a swimming pool. Uh, mm-hmm. my, my family has been affected by that. We had a two-year-old that drowned in our swimming pool. Mm-hmm. That's not a threat that our neighbors had because they didn't have a swimming 
swimming pool. You know, and that's the thing. We live in a dangerous world, and, and these tragedies happen. Uh, but to only fa- see, and this is what the president does. He only focuses on the negative uh, aspects or the negative uses of a firearm. That would be like focusing on just car accident deaths and totally neglecting the number of positive uses that occur with, uh, with, uh, with automobiles. Yes, um, but you will admit that um, a lot of families don't take, and this is one area that could be uh, improved, um, not necessarily, not by a presidential executive order, one would hope, but by, you know, um, public health, uh, PSAs and so on, or teaching things in school or, you know, other ways of teaching the public. Um, for parents or family members to keep their, if they do have a gun, to keep it locked up better than, like so many families keep a gun, if they have a gun, keep it under uh, the bed, for example. And then you have little toddlers crawling around, and of course they're going to pick it up and play with it, and, you know, there goes little Susie. Well, I think we, we certainly agree that uh, if you have a firearm, just like any other dangerous instrument, instrument you uh, have to take responsibility for that. Now, maybe we, we may disagree on what the government's role in that is. Uh, you know, places like California have actually mandated that you have to have your, all your guns locked up. Uh, and that's actually resulted in deaths because then when those guns were needed in self-defense, they weren't able to access them in time. Because when a bad guy shows up in, in your home with a gun, uh, he's not going to have a trigger lock on his gun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's interesting because that is one of the things that the president was talking about and that we'll get to. Well, we need to take a break. This is a good start to a <laughs> a fiery, <laughs> you should excuse the pun, discussion. Um, we're talking about the president's speech today against guns, making an executive order. Um, my guest is Eric Pratt. He is the executive director of Gun Owners of America. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. 
Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about the fresh off the presses, fresh, fresh out of President Obama's mouth, are his um, outrageous demands. Um, outrageous in the sense, particularly, that he's trying yet again, making yet again, um, uh, to an executive order. And particularly um, disturbing is that it is about a constitutional uh, right that we have, the Second Amendment, and um, and yet he somehow thinks that he can overrun the Congress, the uh, um, Supreme Court, um, our Constitution, anything, you know, because he's Obama. Um, so we were going through, with my guest Eric Pratt, we were going through, um, started to go through the speech that Obama made today. And... Um, I have the transcript, and I underline things that I was most outraged about. Um, he said, we are the only advanced country on Earth that sees this kind of mass violence erupt with this kind of frequency. It doesn't happen in other advanced countries. It's not even close. And as I've, as I've said before, somehow we become numb to it, and we start thinking that this is normal. Now, you know, I, I agree that to some extent we become numb to it, but that's because, as I was mentioning at the beginning of the show, because of all the violent media, and that's what violent media does. It desensitizes us to violence. And, well, you know, and nowhere... Go ahead. Well, go, well, I was just going to agree with you that, you know, we're a big country, and so the media uh, can broadcast coast-to-coast something mm-hmm. that happens in one place. So as a big country, we, we have more of everything, more <laughs> car deaths, more swimming pool drownings. Uh, however, when you actually, uh, you know, if you were to, to be honest, if the president was honest and look at murder rates, actually we're not near, anywhere near the most violent country. We are not even in the top 100 when it comes to murder rates of, of countries in, in the world. Uh, we're not even in the top 100. When you look at those countries uh, that, have, uh, that, that are in the top 100, you see countries with stricter gun control laws, and yet it doesn't make them safer. South Africa has a murder rate that's eight times higher. Brazil uh, is six times higher, and on and on it goes. And in fact, when you, when you look at countries with um, uh, uh, mass shootings, uh, again, we're not, you know, there are other countries with higher rates of mass shootings. France is one of them. I mean, you know, we saw that uh, very clearly in November, didn't we? Uh, Finland, Israel, Norway. Remember back in, uh, I think it was 2011, where 69 people in one incident were gunned down. Well, you know, Norway has uh, stricter gun control laws than we do. Uh, same thing with Switzerland. All these countries have higher rates, even though they've got, uh, you know, more gun control than we do. And so when he's, you know, when he makes these statements, uh, you know, he, it, it's the old, you know, say, take a big lie and, and say it often enough and, you mm. know, people might start believing it, but it's just an absolute fabrication. Mm. Well, you know, of course, the, the big thing here, though, is that terrorism has changed all of this. It's, it's been a game changer in terms of how we, you know, how we view guns, how we view the need to protect ourselves. Um, and and how and what these mass shootings? I mean, they're not always about terrorism. I mean, Sandy Hook and um, a bunch of others, uh, uh, you know, some of which she mentioned, weren't really related to terrorism. But 
But I mean, that does make it, it has made um, people more frightened and uh, more aware of the need to protect themselves. And um, I think the debate has taken on a different, I mean, how how have you felt it as, um, as the executive director of Gun Owners of America? Your arguments and your lobbying and all of that uh, must have changed with the not only with 9-11, but with the increase in terrorism throughout the world. Well, you know, it's interesting when you look at all those places that the president rattled off, and, and even more, uh, but the, the San Bernardino shootings in California, the Charleston, South Carolina shootings, the Oregon shooting, the Lafayette Theater shooting, the Tennessee military installation shooting, or, you know, if you go back a little further, the Fort Hood shootings, or the Aurora Theater shootings, or the Navy Yard shootings, they were all gun-free zones. And it's interesting, when you go back to the 1950s, over 90% of the mass shootings that have occurred, public mass shootings in this country, have been in gun-free zones. In other words, all these gun control laws that are supposed to keep us safer, they're not working. In fact, the bad guys and the terrorists actually target those zones. Because you know what happens in places where people can carry firearms? those mass shootings get stopped short. Uh, and that's happened actually several times. It doesn't get widely reported in the media, but armed citizens use guns to stop mass shootings. It happened at a hospital in Pennsylvania. It happened at a bar in Youngstown, Ohio, or at a barber shop in Philadelphia. There was another one where the pastor stopped it at a church in Orlando, Florida. In fact, uh, in Chicago, it was an Uber driver. He saw a guy who was shooting into a, a crowd of people on a street corner. The Uber driver had a concealed carry permit. He pulled out his gun, shot the guy six times. Nobody else was injured. Uh, it was good shooting on the part of the Uber driver. Saved a lot of people's lives. And over and over again, we see in these examples, when the police show up later, because they're usually not there at the scene of the crime, they say, if it wasn't for this armed mm-hmm. civilian, more people would have died. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the president doesn't talk about those incidents, but he talks about all these gun-free zones where people were too scared to carry firearms, and as a result, everybody there was sitting ducks because they weren't able to shoot back. Okay. I mean, of course, in a perfect world, nobody would have guns, and we'd all be hugging each other. <laughs> well, in a perfect world, yeah, you're talking about the Garden of Eden, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, things would be much different. <laughs> all right. So the president went on, and he said, he, this is his sort of rationalization, and there's some, you know, what do you, what do you think about this? Um, he talks about, I believe, in the Second Amendment, which is really good since he's the president, and that's our Constitution. It guarantees a right to bear arms. Um, but uh, he's he's saying that there are um, it should be modified essentially is what he's saying in the First Amendment the guarantee of free speech I'm reading his speech but um, we all believe in the First Amendment the guarantee of free speech but we accept that you can't yell fire in a theater we understand that there are some constraints on our freedom in order to protect innocent people we cherish our right to privacy but we accept that you have to go through metal detectors uh, and so on so he's basically saying that um, you know there are you can make modifications in these amendments. 
What do you think of his examples and that well, logic? A couple of things. Uh, very shameful for a person who's taught constitutional law not even to, uh, for him not to recite the entire amendment because it says that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And you nailed it by saying he wants to modify it, so he's actually supporting infringements. Now, on that analogy that he uses regarding uh, not yelling fire in a crowded theater, notice that we don't put prior restraints on people going into the theater. We don't run a background check to see if they've had this type of history before of yelling fire when there was no fire. Mm. Or we don't gag people as they go into the theater. In other words, what do we do? We punish those who would break the law. And that's what we should do with Second Amendment rights. When somebody abuses their freedom, you punish them. But see, what the president is doing He's restricting the rights of people before they even exercise their mm-hmm. rights. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like, you know, running a background check on you because you're getting married and the government wants to make sure you're not going to be a wife abuser or a child abuser or something like that. You don't do that with God-given rights. You know, it's not the government's job to become the screening service because otherwise there will be abuses, there, and, and there have been abuses. What the government is supposed to do is punish punish those who abuse other people's rights after the fact. Well, okay. Um, what about, I mean, it's, you know, his big thing, I mean, mainly what he's talking about or what his big focus is on, um, it's on making not just people who own gun stores, but on making people who own, who, who go to gun shows and sell guns there or who sell guns to their neighbors and so on, um, he wants everybody to do a background check, not just someone who owns a gun store. So what, um, tell us about what the background check is. If, if, if you want to buy a gun, um, well, sure you have, if I want to buy a gun, um, I would go into a gun shop, let's just say, and I would have to fill out um, some information, and I would need to be have a background check. What are some of the things that the average person gets asked right now on this background check? Well, uh, you, you know, you have to give your uh, criminal history, and of course, they'll run a background check on your criminal history, and that's uh, really the key when you're doing it at a gun shop. Now, what he's trying to do is expand it to people, let's say neighbors, who uh, uh, one selling a firearm to another, or potentially this could even uh, be uh, like a grandfather passing it down to his uh, son or mm-hmm. grandson. Uh, and, and, and the penalties are harsh. And this is what's so wrong about what the president is doing. He's doing this without any authority. If a private individual who's bought guns, and you know maybe he's suffering in this economy, and, and he, you know, he needs cash, and so he wants to sell a firearm to his neighbor, or he goes to a gun show wanting to buy one of the guns that he's legally bought. Uh, if he sells one or two guns without running a background check, the penalties for doing that could be five years in jail and a $250,000 fine, according to the regulations published by the president yesterday. Look, this is not going to keep us safe or putting restrictions on law-abiding people like that. California already has universal background checks. They've already made it the law that a private individual selling to another private individual, you have to uh, run background checks. 
And obviously that didn't stop the San Bernardino shooters from getting guns. Uh, France has even much stricter gun control laws, and it didn't stop those terrorists from getting guns. It's not going to make us safer. It's all about setting up the government uh, to compile data on private citizens. It's uh, violating uh, privacy. And, you know, registration lists have been a real issue, a real stickler point with gun owners, because we've seen how they've been abused all over the world, even in this country, where registration lists have been used as a prelude to gun confiscation. Now, it's happened in mass cases, mass quantities overseas, uh, in some limited cases in our own country, and that's what should give us a real pause. Tell us, I would like to know more about that. And then I hear the music, but we have to take a break. Well, when we come back, I'm sure all my listeners would like to hear some examples of that, because, yes, that is, um, you know, I mean, the government is between Obamacare and uh, and now this. Um, The government seems to be trying to, and and things I've talked about with uh, school children and um, the testing that they're doing in school children, it is... 1984. I mean, there there is um, a collection of, of private information going on all over the place, and it's not just about protecting us from terrorists. It's just it is for the government to have more control over us. But we need to take a break. Um, my guest is Eric Pratt. He is the executive director of Gun Owners of America. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We will be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest today, Eric Pratt. He is the executive director of Gun Owners of America. We're talking, of course, about uh, the president's speech and um, before the break, Eric was starting to tell us about how uh, some examples of how um, these gathering this information um, in order to to buy a gun has been used against gun owners to confiscate confiscate the guns. So tell us about that. Absolutely. I mean, first starting in other countries, uh, and and this has been a perennial problem. 
in, in other parts of the world. But you know, the Guinness Book of World Records says about Cambodia that it holds the unenviable record for the greatest genocide. And it wasn't because it was the most people killed. It was the greatest percentage of the population. One-third of the population was massacred by the Khmer Rouge. And uh, But prior to that, eyewitnesses who fled the country said that the, the government went on a gun confiscation campaign, literally went door-to-door uh, confiscating firearms, and once that was complete, that's when the horrific massacres uh, began. Now, we haven't, thank God, seen uh, the end part of that in this country, but we have seen registration lead to, conf- uh, to confiscation. That happened in New York City, where they began registering certain long guns in the 1960s, and, and uh, gun owners objected there in the city, said, you know, that this is, uh, you know, is going to lead to confiscation. And the government at the time said, no, you know, we just want to make sure that bad guys uh, aren't getting the guns. Well, in the 1990s, when Mayor David Dinkins signed a law banning many of the guns that had been previously registered, gun owners objected, said this is a violation of, of that promise. And he said, well, that was a different administration. I didn't make that promise. I'm not violating anything. And so they actually sent police officers to the doors of people who were on that registration list and confiscated firearms. We saw gun confiscation in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. In fact, recently, after the San Bernardino shootings, we saw the New York Times, for the only the second time in 100 years, put an op-ed on their front page. And what was so important that the New York Times had to tell us that they would put their op-ed on the front page? It was that we need uh, confiscation of firearms, and Americans just need to deal with that, that we've gotten to the point where this is necessary. So, I mean, we see, uh, you know, liberal bastions like the Times calling for it, and we've actually seen examples of it. This is why gun owners are so sensitive to violations of our privacy and anything that would give a record, the name of a gun buyer, and put it in an FBI database. And uh, is a big problem uh, with that, and, uh, you know, we're, we're ter- tremendously opposed to it. So you're against any kind of um, gathering, any kind of information when anyone buys a gun? Absolutely. We, we say punish the violators, the, those who commit harm with a firearm or, or any instrument for that matter. Uh, but just, you know, again, going back to the, the analogy with yelling fire in a crowded theater, you don't put, you don't gag people before they exercise their rights. You punish them severely when they do abuse that right to harm others. Well, you know, what's, what's really, I, I know the, um, the, situation with the New York Times putting that on their front page was rather shocking. Um, and I, it was kind of, uh, the, but the scary part is that that is, as terrorism <laughs> encroaches more um, on us, upon us, um, and yes, you know, that is going to be happening. I, I know people don't want to face that fact, but anyway, as, as it is happening more and people are getting more frightened um, the idea of confiscating guns from everybody, there is a big risk that more people are going to buy into that because that seems like the simple solution. Well, if you just take guns away from everybody, then there won't be terrorists with guns, which of course is ridiculous because the terrorists, first of all, they don't necessarily have to use guns. And second of all, um, you know, they, they certainly would be able to find uh, illegal ways of getting them. 
Uh, absolutely, and, and we see that in France, which has very, very, very strict gun control laws. In fact, uh, you cannot, to my knowledge, get a concealed carry permit in France. So even the whole idea of walking into an auditorium with a gun right there is violating the law. You know, those terrorists mm-hmm. from beginning to end in acquiring the weapons, carrying the weapons, not to mention murdering people with the weapons, violated the law. Now, you know, at this point, our you know, opponents on the other side will say, well, look, we have laws against murder, and, you know, obviously bad guys, uh, you know, disobey those laws, but that doesn't mean we don't have laws against murder. And in the same way, just because bad guys are going to disobey gun laws, that doesn't mean that, that we shouldn't have them. The problem with that analogy is that we have laws against murder because murder is actually a bad thing. <laughs> you know, murder is you know, one of the Ten Commandments, right? Murder is wrong, whereas having a firearm is not wrong. It, it is a constitutionally protected right, which, again, we would say even goes back further. Uh, in fact, when you look at the Second Amendment, it's not written saying people shall have the right to keep and bear arms. It assumes the right already exists, because they assumed the right of self-defense came from God, uh, from mm-hmm. our Creator. So, you know, they said that right, which already exists, shall not be infringed. And that's really uh, the bottom line. That's why we have laws against bad activity, but not laws or we shouldn't have laws against lawful activity like uh, being able to protect ourselves with a firearm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so President Obama um, spoke about four main um, things that he wanted to enact. Uh, number one, anybody in the business of selling firearms must get a license and conduct background checks. We talked about that. Yes. Um, then number two... Um, we're going to do everything we can to ensure the smart and effective enforcement of gun safety laws that are already on the books. We're going to add 200 more ATF agents and investigators, uh, require firearms dealers to report more lost or stolen guns in a timely basis, um, working with advocates to protect victims of domestic abuse. What do you think about that second aspect of what he's... Whenever you hear them talking about gun safety laws, realize what what they're actually talking about is making things safer for for bad guys. Because, again, going back to what we've been talking about, bad guys are not going to obey these laws. So any restrictions that he comes up with that makes it more difficult for law-abiding citizens to protect themselves does make make a safer working environment for the bad guys. And, and that's the thing that we really object to. I mean, yes, we're all about throwing the book at bad guys, but you know what? We live in a nation that has seen its murder rate cut in half over the last 25 years. We are much safer today than we are in, were in the early 90s, and yet what's interesting, over that same period while, while our murder rate has been cut in half, we've had 150 million new guns either manufactured or imported into the country for sale. So we literally have more guns and yet less crime. And yet despite that, he's still going after 
law-abiding citizens with these restrictions, uh, you know, all these additional ATF agents, I mean, this is the kind of battle we were fighting in the 1980s, which is why we had the Firearms Protection Act uh, of 1986 passed, because uh, ATF agents were harassing law-abiding citizens, uh, you know, on, on trumped-up charges, and so Congress finally put a stop to it. Well, the president has now wound back the clock to mm. take us back to those days. Mm. Now, number three um, is an interesting one. We're going to do more to help those suffering from mental illness and get the help they need. Well, that's all wonderful, except it isn't happening or hasn't happened. It would be nice if it happened. There certainly is a a scarcity of mental health resources for people. Um, High-profile mass shootings tend to... Uh, shine a light on those few mentally ill, mentally unstable people who inflict harm on others. Uh, and then he talks about nearly two and three gun deaths are from suicides. You know, he's trying to uh, use that as to convince people that we should follow what he's saying. Then he talks about um, uh, that they're going to invest $500 million to expand access to treatment, uh, mental health treatment across the country. I think that that's great. Um, you know, there's nothing to be against in terms of that. But then he says, um, we're going to ensure that federal mental health records are submitted to the background check system and remove barriers that prevent states from reporting relevant information. Well, you know, certainly uh, it doesn't take it doesn't take much to make the leap from Obamacare, um, which I have been and am still furiously against um, but it's you know it gives the it gives more power to the government to have records on people particularly mental health records now um, you know yes if if indeed um, you have a patient who well like for example uh, James Holmes obviously the psychiatrist who was treating James Holmes the um, Batman theater shooter um, she certainly didn't do the right thing in uh, by not hospitalizing him immediately. Um, that would have prevented the mass shooting that he perpetrated. Um, then, so now, now mental health professionals are going to um, be expected, in a sense, to report the names of mentally ill patients. To FBI, to the FBI firearms background check system. So, what effect is that going to have on patients um, going? First of all, going to mental health providers. You know, all those extra providers that are going to be paid for by this extra five hundred million dollars. If um, they're aware that they could be reported um, to the FBI, and then um, there is already, as I'm sure you know. Uh, a 1993 Brady law that prohibits gun ownership by individuals who have been involuntarily committed uh, as a danger to themselves or danger uh, danger to others if they've been found incompetent to stand trial or otherwise deemed by a court to be a danger to themselves or others. So, um, but there was a a. Uh, there were rules, privacy rules, that prohibited doctors and other providers from sharing information without the consent of their patient. There seemed to be, basically, it comes down to conflicting laws. 
that on the one hand are t- saying that, that doctors have to protect the privacy of their patients, and then on the other hand um, now saying, you know, with what, according to what President Obama wants, now saying that um, providers can disclose this information, and I guess that's only a, a tiny step away from we have to disclose this information. Uh, yeah, and, and you've really nailed it. And this is a huge problem, and uh, the president is doing away with those HIPAA protections uh, that would keep people's uh, information confidential, and so it really will dissuade people from getting help. Look, nobody wants wackos uh, with guns, but here's the bottom line. No one should lose their constitutionally protected rights without due process in court. And that's the problem with what the president is doing, is that on the basis of a single determination, somebody sees a shrink, they could end up losing their guns uh, without ever even setting foot in court. It's already happened to almost 200,000 military veterans suffering from things like PTSD who sought help. Now the president wants to do it to seniors who are getting Social Security benefits if they're having trouble... Uh, balancing their checkbook or something like My goodness, if we're going to use that standard of not being able to balance a checkbook, then all of Congress should lose their rights. I know. Is that like just, just I mean, I could just see some cartoonists, probably they've already been making cartoons about this, but, you know, taking, having, right, making a report to the government for, on some little old lady who's having trouble balancing her checkbook. I mean, it, it's just gotten ridiculous. Um, you know the thing is, these I, I've studied this um, the the mass shooters um, because because I write about this and I speak about this. Um, you know, in in all of these cases, uh, they they their uh, crime, their mass shooting, could have been stopped if, in fact, uh, they had gotten psychiatric help, good psychiatric help. Uh, early on in their life, for example, the James Holmes, um, clearly his parents <laughs> ignored um, some severe signs of mental illness early on. It was, you know, it, it came out that uh, it was back when he was 10 or 11 that um, he was showing signs of problems. I think he might, I can't remember right now, but they, I think they did take him to see um, a psychiatrist or some kind of mental health professional, And but it was just... I, they did, that person either didn't recognize the seriousness of it or the parents decided to stop going to therapy. I mean, that's part of the problem, too. Even the um, Elliot, the, the, what, the mass shooter in Santa Barbara who was shooting the, the college co-eds and so on, um, he was very disturbed, and his parents never got him sufficient help. I mean, in some of these cases, they did actually bring um the the child the man who became the shooter ultimately to get help and the help that they got first of all it was like a brief contact and and it was not with someone who was particularly good and who recognized um really what was going on with these people uh so you know there is a problem with with psychiatrists um with the mental health, I mean, sometimes it has to do with the people not being able to afford better mental health practitioners um, or the, the lack of accessibility to that. But so there is a problem with that, too, that certainly, um, and, and of course, the problem of psychiatrists becoming pill pushers instead of doing therapy. I mean, there are various problems with the mental health system, but 
um, you know, the key would be to focus more on getting uh, more uh, psychological help to people, more good psychological help to people when they're children, when they begin to show some of these uh, psychopathic behaviors, when there are, there are so many... Um, signs early on when parents get divorced when kids come from broken homes they're first lost by these in these broken homes nobody's paying attention to them anymore the parents are paying attention to themselves and to their new uh, found loves and so on um and and then they're not getting attention the proper attention from the mental health system so these are people who have been lost and i totally agree with that part of what he said that um that more money and and better training should go into providing better psychological help earlier earlier on for people and then then we wouldn't need to worry about uh about taking their gun away yeah and and i think you hit you touched on a couple of key points uh, you know, again, to the to the degree that people realize that they're going to be uh, losing constitutional rights if they seek help, uh, they're not going to seek seek help. And we've already seen that happening with military veterans uh, who choose not to get help, yeah. even though they can get it for free at the VA. They're simply not doing it because uh, they know there's a sort of Damocles hanging over their head. And you know, you mentioned Elliot and Holmes, both of those shooters. And it's interesting that while they were disturbed, they were not stupid uh, in the sense that they made rational decisions to select areas where they weren't going to find opposition. In other words, people with guns. In fact, Holmes actually did his homework in advance. He could have chosen any one of seven theaters near his home, yet he didn't go to the biggest one. He didn't go to the closest one. He went to the only one of the seven that had a no-gun-free zone uh, policy uh, posted there at the theater. So he chose the only place that basically told concealed carry permit holders, uh, you're not welcome here. And that was the theater that he chose, uh, sat tragically, to, to, to make his killing. And we saw the same thing with Elliot. And, you know, he had this hundred-some-page manifesto that he had written. And, and same thing, he had gone through this process of deciding uh, what would be a better place where he's not going to find armed opposition. And so, you know, all, all that underscores the point that, uh, you know, while these guys may be disturbed, they will make those rational decisions to be able to select the place where they're going to have the safest working environment, where they can create uh, or commit the greatest carnage, and many of them, and this ties into something you've been talking about, they want the, the publicity, even if it's post-mortem. A lot of these guys are poli- uh, uh, publicity hounds, mm-hmm. and they want uh, to be remembered in their death. And, you know, you could easily, not that I would make this argument, but you could easily make the argument if we restricted the uh, freedom of the press and prevented stories like this, uh, that it would prevent a lot of the copycats. But see, that's the dangerous road you start going down when you say, you know, Uh if it just saves one life, let's do this. Well, you Uh can think of a lot of infringements on all Uh kinds of liberties that might save one life. Yes. And of course, the Sandy Hook killer as well um he had mental health problems and his family weren't wasn't uh, they got divorced and they weren't addressing any of their problems and in fact his mother i mean you wouldn't agree with his mother who took him to who had he was he was essentially locked himself in the basement with violent video games and a whole slew of guns and she took him to a gun shooting range now you wouldn't agree that it was smart of the mother to take him gun shooting gun 
practice. You know, I've got uh, 10 living kids, and uh, I can find a lot of fault with what this mom was doing, including, you know, we, we severely restrict uh, the, the time of video, you know, video games and things like that. Uh, but, you know, what's interesting about uh, the Sandy Hook shooter, I'm not even going to say his name, but similar to the other two we were just talking about, uh, he chose a gun-free zone to commit his crimes. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the, the frequent theme you see with these massacres is they choose that, you know, they don't go to a, a police station. They don't go to a gun show. You know, they go to places where they're going to be the only one with a gun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. We have, um, we don't have a lot of time left. So why don't you tell people um, where to go to find out more information about your organization and the kinds of things that um, people that your organization does for, for, I mean, what being a member or um, what what they can be provided with. Absolutely. Well, our website is gunowners.org. That's gunowners with an S dot O-R-G. And uh, we, we have at the top of the page a, a response to the president and what he's proposing. Uh, but people can also sign up for our free email alerts uh, there. And if, if this is an issue that you are interested in, uh, they're low volume. Uh, we don't send out a lot, but when things get hot and heavy like this and it's, it's necessary for people to communicate with their elected representatives, we help facilitate that. And that's been very effective in stopping uh, gun control legislation. Also, if people are on Facebook, encourage them to like us at Gun Owners, you know, Facebook forward slash Gun Owners, because uh, we have a lot of very useful uh, information and articles there that's posted. And is there, um, do you feel comfortable saying um, who, if you've already decided, amongst the presidential candidates you would be backing, or perhaps you've already been um, working we with We have, them. actually, yes. We have endorsed Senator Ted Cruz for, for president, and so we were very pleased to see him responding to the president, say, well, while he may have his phone uh, and his pen, my pen has an eraser on it. <laughs> and uh, so he said this is going to be one of the first things he does is to repeal uh, all these exec- anti-gun executive orders. So we think we've made the right choice. And you wouldn't be terribly disappointed if Trump uh, got to be president, would you? Well, if uh, Trump, uh, if he were elected president, he has certainly said a lot of good things on uh, Second Amendment uh, this year uh, or over the past year. Now, some of that conflicts with things he's said in the past, and that gives us some pause and concern. But again, if he uh, were to live up to his recent words, we would be very happy with that. Well, you know, I think just like I said at the very beginning of the show, you know, I did think in one way earlier on, and then with things changing, with terrorism, with the recognition that some presidential administrations or some presidents, you know, are more dangerous than others and so on, my views changed too. So um, so I think that shouldn't be <laughs> held against him. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, and I, I, certainly there is, is room to uh, to grow, and, and I, I take your point there. Um, and you know, and if that's it, uh, that's fine. Uh, but uh, that that's one reason why we opted for Senator Ted Cruz because he has been solidly consistent on this issue and and really other issues, constitutional issues. He's you know he he hasn't had uh, two different opinions, and so that's why we're fully behind Ted Cruz. Mhm, mhm. And and I hear the music, so that you <laughs> we finished just in time. Um, again, the um, 
website for my guest, Eric Pratt, as the executive director of Gun Owners of America, is gunowners.org, gunowners.org, and also on Facebook. And, um, I, you know, obviously, as I said from the start, this is all very controversial, and um, hopefully this listening to this show will uh, encourage you to have more conversations about this. Yes, and I, I guess I will end with maybe someday it would be nice if to think that at some point in our future we could at least be trying towards n- nobody needing any guns and us living peacefully together. So thank you, Eric Pratt, for being on Dr. Carol's Couch, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 